Guys, this is Succession. This is HBO. If you don't want to hear me talking about Logan Roy, talking about then don't listen to this. There are bad language words in this show. Hello and welcome to the Snake Linguini episode of Slate Money Succession. We are up to episode two of season three. I am Felix Salmon of Axios. I'm here with Emily Peck of Fundrise. Hello, hello. And very excitingly, we are here with Kurt Anderson. Welcome back, Kurt. Uh, couldn't be happier to be back. Who are you and why, how are you qualified to opine on all of this? Oh, that's a deep Kurt that's Anderson. A you, are, question. you are the Kurt Anderson. Kurt uh, fucking well, Anderson. you know, uh, how am I? <laughs> I've written novels, some of which are about uh, rich media moguls. I've worked for rich media moguls. I'm, I'm old, so I've seen <laughs> empires come and go. I no, you, you are you are basically the number one most best person we can have on this show. We are going to talk about Jerry's snake linguini and all manner of family dysfunction all coming up on Slate Money Succession. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kurt, welcome. Great to have you talking about media moguls, which is a subject you know a lot about. Let me just come out and ask you, like, in terms of dysfunctional media families, where would you rate this on a scale of, like, one to verisimilitudinous? Uh, as high the, as the verisimilitudinous has ever been and beyond media <laughs> mogul families. The thing I've been amazed about and impressed by from the beginning of this series is how it gets rich people in general. So, well, forget moguls, forget media people, but rich people. I've never seen it done better, frankly, in television or film, but it does the business really well. And I, back when I started deciding I wanted to be a novelist and I wrote my first novel, it was, it was a lot of it was set in the world of media moguls and business and stuff. And, and at that time it was like, well, this hasn't really been done well in fiction. Let me try to do it well. And it's still rarely done well, but man, this just knocks it out of the park forever. And, and, a friend of mine who was also a big Succession fan said he had seen the you know, trailers and said, oh, gosh, there's so much. It's all these round-the-world shoots, and it's, I, I'm worried it's not going to be as good. Well, based on, based on the first couple of episodes, I certainly have not been disappointed by what I see. You know, and we all know people who are in destructive, dysfunctional families with powerful patriarchs, whether they're media moguls or not, but I feel like these people are are convincingly damaged and dysfunctional. Is this normal for rich families? Well, I can't speak about all rich <laughs> families, but I mean, it's not uncommon. I I know I know I know uh, the the ones I know have any firsthand knowledge of. This is kind of a lot the way it is. So, Kurt, let's talk about this episode because at the heart of this episode 
is a glorious scene where we get all four children together in a tiny little room and it becomes very clear that if they can only coordinate and get their act together and work in concert with each other then that would be pretty much like the optimal outcome for all of them and yet their general fucked upness and internal mistrust and dynamics makes that completely impossible that's right you know it's the prisoner's dilemma kind of thing with four of them instead of two and i mean and there's just beyond their fucked upness there is the the general prisoner's dilemma i just want to do well for myself fuck my brothers and sisters or my father or anybody else which which is not <laughs> unique to rich people or media moguls children but but yeah it's beautifully done and and again beautifully written i i, I just i'm not i'm not going to stop raving because especially television writing and film writing but is so often rushed to like get to the point get to the point you know don't spend time meandering around and in the scenes with with the siblings uh, the roy siblings figuring out that you know are they going to work together what's going to go on here it it isn't it's you know i it doesn't obey any kind of screenwriting uh rules it 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 meanders in this beautiful incredibly convincingly naturalistic way. But yes, their their weaknesses and their fucked upness is so beautifully apparent and you know and I, and I came away from that and other scenes thinking like sort of identifying in fact with the father and thinking like yeah, I wouldn't give any of these little pipsqueaks uh, control of my company. You know, I don't want any of them to run it, you know, but which was beautifully done. Which which is also what Jerry says, right? When she, when Roman asked for advice, he's like if we if we manage to defenestrate Logan, like which one of us would take over? And she's like, "You got to be fucking joking, right? None of you is going to take over." Well, that and also, I, w- I was just thinking about it. So Jerry, I mean, making Jerry the temporary CEO, of course, has the is is the brilliant move for the dad to do because it it maximizes the chances that the other three are going to stick by his side because they could still work. You know, they could still win. You know, any of them. So it was, you know, in addition to the fact that they're all, with the possible exception of Shiv, in my view, weak people who you wouldn't want to run your your giant multi-gazillion dollar company, just doing this temporary thing of not giving it to any of them is obviously the move to do if you're, if you're him. That was what was clear to me from the episode, that the siblings are all trapped in their sibling dynamic, and they're all competing for Logan's love and the role of his successor and the fact that they're he keeps them that way he keeps them dancing for him they can't overcome it they would never ever be able to team up it's impossible because logan has built them that way that is the dynamic and they cannot get out of it and it just becomes clear as these these fights continue and they're insulting each other shiv says something really terrible to roman he walks out of the room and then they kind of diminish connor and he i don't know he walks out of the room and then it's still maybe going to go that they're going to team up and then of course the donuts arrive and the donuts close the deal i do think that there's this wonderful little grace note in this episode where Logan, who is definitely at the bottom of his arc right now, he is he is very weak, he is very desperate, he's reaching out to anyone and everyone he can for any kind of support. 
and this is very visible to anyone, and it's obviously most visible to Marsha. But he phones up Connor, and in a very kind of transparent and needy way, he's like, You're number one, kiddo. And it's pathetic and it's weak and connor knows that it's pathetic and it's weak but even though the even though he knows it's pathetic and weak he can't help but like feel validated it works it. it still works it works the need for your father's love is so powerful even when you see the manipulation happening you still are so desperate for it you'll take it anyway well, you'll take just making the effort the pathetic yeah. uh, unconvincing effort as something yeah, yeah. Oh, that was amazing. You're my number one. Because we all remember, of course, when he hugged Kendall back in season one and he said, you're my number one boy, right? Yeah. Like, no. No, and the other thing, so. again, Rankings. I mean, as we see so much of these four children in, in this episode, um, that they, they are they are such distinct characters. I mean, they're so, so, so distinct characters and so, uh, but none of them obvious or familiar stereotypes, you know? Yeah, they're truly unique and original people, well-drawn. Yeah, and 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 the writing. We need to talk about the writing in this in this episode because I mean, obviously Kurt you brought it up, but this was I think Emily you said something to me a couple of days ago how this felt like a play, a lot of the writing in this episode. Um there was a lot of sort of exposition to get through this wasn't like the most dramatic episode a lot of it falls on the quality of the writing and the writing was excellent but also understated like a lot of the punchlines the funny things that you come to succession for like when kendall goes to greg and says you okay dude yeah you wondering if you tied your dick to a runaway train here or like when when Roman says stretch, it's a fucking scrotum over a timpani drum. Those are great lines, which if they appeared in something like Veep or in the Loop, would be like boom punchlines, which you'd laugh at. But in this show, you barely notice them. Like sometimes you need to like watch it a second time to even realize that they're there. Yeah. Well, it's what, why I love this show so much because it is a drama. It is not a comedy, but its creator. Uh, Jesse Armstrong is a guy whose most of whose previous writing career was in television comedy. So it's it's bringing that sensibility to this dark, serious thing that is not trying to do even the dark comedy of of a Veep. It's a serious show in which Roman, because they were brilliant to create him, is the fun is the actual joke telling character. Nobody else tells jokes really. Again, like much of my favorite literature, film, everything, it is not comic it is not a comedy but it has that effect again and again and again so i i would i would say it is a comedy i i think i know i know people say that and when i researched it, i saw that people call it a comedy but i would think i mean it's so not like a com- you know it's not a half hour comedy as, as we've come to know comedy on tv it's not you know uh it, it, you know yes it is it is comic but as as serious as a heart attack as they say but it's comic in the way that, like, you know, The Death of Stalin, the Iannucci film was comic, you know? Well, except that had, no, that was, I would say, more broadly comic. I mean, th- there is a, as I say, there's a character in Roman who tells jokes, 
And there and Greg is a funny God knows character, and that's what a hard uh, uh, character to play. That kid, that guy, does a great job with that very difficult role. Uh, but other than you know, nobody tells jokes as as opposed to the death of Stalin, which you know there were there were jokes, you know. Uh, but it's extraordinary. The other thing about this being like a play and being low key and all that that you said. It also doesn't have, as I think practically every previous episode has, any big party or any big event as a sort of set piece. You know, that's one of the things that this show does, and it's always magnificent and everything. But no, it's it's in a room or in a few rooms, just like stage play. Yeah, it felt like there were just a few a few sets. Greg was there for our comedy relief. Greg's pursuit of a lawyer for himself um, was kind of like the lighthearted bit of the play. And then we returned to the siblings in the room kind of like hashing it out. And it felt like the, the point of the episode was kind of like to just settle out the alliances. Who is going to be on whose side? Or, or to raise the question, the because there is yeah. like, right now there are no alliances. Right now, everything, all the balls are in the air. And with... With the exception of, you can be pretty sure, I think at this point, that Jerry is Team Logan. But like beyond that, I I can't, and even that one's, you know, there's a small question mark. If you think of the six or seven major players, if you include Marsha now, um, trying to work out who's aligned with whom between the four kids, Marsha, Logan, and Jerry, like, I have no idea. But I mean, the whole point, so you, you're not persuaded by the resolution of the meeting in Sophie's room <laughs> in which the kids like reject Kendall and all claim to be behind Logan. Wouldn't that signal that that's where their alliances are, at least in the short term? Correct. I am completely unconvinced that any of them is actually aligned <laughs> with Logan. Okay. But they're just not aligned with Kendall. They, they, I think it's like what people say about, you know, foreign policy. You have, you have all allies are are transactional and temporary i mean it's it's i yeah I, are any of them motivated in some way by family human feeling i i don't have that impression well there is that wonderful line from connor where he's like i'm a public figure and it's not a good look for a public figure to knife his father <laughs> But then he also does say something kind of more like gentle, like I just can't do that to, you know how he calls him Logan Pop? I just can't do that to Pop or something. You know, it did sort of feel like he didn't want to do that. Connor. A did, bit. Did yeah. 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 Well, Connor. he, in his doofusy, idiotic way, yes, he could have some human sense of feeling and loyalty for his father. That may have been sincere or it may have been a thing he said to himself after he decided for whatever other reasons uh, not to join up against dad uh, to make himself feel like he's a good guy. You know, I don't know. And I think Kendall also buried himself because he said just a bunch of like batshit crazy things to his siblings and trying to convince him to come over to his side. Like good big picture. We're at the end of the long American century. Our company is a declining empire inside a declining empire. Amen, brother. People are, are, are killing themselves with guns or dope so fast that we're losing pace. Unsubscribe. We're, we're fat-fingered fucks and we can only live on cream. U.S. supremacy is waning. What I think is, within that context, we can become omninational and reposition. Because actually we are not tied, culturally or physically. So, so we are actually in a great position to leapfrog tech. Information is going to be more precious than water in the next hundred. 
combine all our news operations, become the global news information hub. Amazon is 20 years old, Gates is an old geezer. Detoxify our brand and we can go supersonic. This was the best, the best speech. The best speech. Like, I love that Kendall speech so much because it's like he comes out and he's like, guys, can we clean slate this? And then he just launches into this absolute tidal wave of jargon and bullshit. And somehow, in his, you know, deep in his rubber, plastic Jesus rubber soul, like, feels that somehow this is going to persuade his siblings to come along with him. And you're like, this has everyone like rolling their eyes and he's talking about like, it's the end of a long American century and leapfrog tech and epiphenomena and blah, blah, blah. And everyone watching that speech and all of the siblings are like, oh my God, you're such a nerd. And yet Kendall doesn't have the human ability to understand that this is exactly the wrong thing to say at this time. To these people, especially. And it, you know, the thing is, again, brilliant, because they all are basically are rolling their eyes and like not buying it. But it's not stupid as a way to pitch that rap about <laughs> the end of American blood and all the whole thing. It wasn't a comically dumb thing. It just, as you say, he didn't understand that it wouldn't sell. And the other thing, you know, having, having been the guy who has the drug problem, the, the, the kind of cokehead manic quality of his whole, Kendall's whole character in this episode is so, we don't see him doing drugs, I don't think, but, but man, if that isn't a cokehead, I don't know if I've ever seen one. But yeah, and he definitely had, but he definitely has a mad attack of the logoria. And he loves, he loves, like, he, what does he, he turns to, to Shiv and he goes, is it cowardice or avarice? And you're like, ooh, those are good words. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Is that, um, for you rich uh, dude experts out there, like, is this like something that's maybe typical of someone born into massive wealth who's never been told no and who maybe thinks they're a little bit of a genius, feels like he can say and do things like this because everyone treats him with unearned respect, so then... It does have a little bit of Jared Kushner to it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. That was my takeaway. Like, this rich guy does not know how to run a business. He doesn't know how to talk about strategy. He's, like, low-grade idiot unqualified, and now that's clear. And I I did feel like Shiv um, was persuaded not to get onto his side by, by how dumb he sounds, because she sounded smart in her strategy in the past. It's funny. I hadn't thought of the Jared uh, connection, uh, but yes, that's he's very Kushnerian, uh, Jared Kushnerian. Except, of course, you know Jared at least so far, and obviously it's too late now. Never did the thing that you know he coulda, shoulda done about his father-in-law. He shoulda pulled the Kendall right, uh, and never did. But in his like in over his head, kind of entitled but insecure skinny way. Uh, Kendall is a very uh, Jared uh, guy. This episode of Slate Money is brought to you by Wondery, which is a podcast company, and it makes a podcast called The Best One Yet, and it is a daily podcast hosted by Nick and Jack, who serve up three of the most interesting business news stories every day, and why you need to know them in just 20 minutes. Do you want to hear about the $100 wedding dress that saved Abercrombie or which real tech acquisition is like Game of Thrones or the one financial equation that can finally solve climate change? That's the kind of stuff you find on The Best One Yet. So be in the know this year 
by starting your morning with the best one yet every weekday. Follow the best one yet on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. And for more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts with shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more. Wondery means business. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things that really struck me about this episode is the way that everyone lies to everyone about everything for no particular reason. Like when Kendall goes off to talk to Stewie and, you know, uh, over the street, he's like, I'm going to go hug my kids. When, um, when uh, Shiv asked Tom if he knew that she was at Kendall's house, he's like, no, I didn't know. Like All of these pointless lies, right? There's no reason for these lies, but they just lie reflexively because, what did Jerry call it? A snake linguini. Well, if you're playing, if you're playing a game all the time, you're playing liar's poker all the time, you're going to lie. Because uh, no particular reason except Keep your cards close to your vest because because you're playing this card game, you know. So, but but to that point, I mean, the, you know, only time I was ever like a boss of a lot of people. Um, one of the reasons I decided, like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore much, because it seems to me, when you're running any kind of business, even one, you know, a magazine with hundred people who work there, you gotta lie. You gotta you're you you are required to dissemble at least, if not lie. And so if you're in this, if you're running, whatever it's called, Wayfair. Waystar Royco. Waystar Royco. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the part of doing that at any level is is not <laughs> instinctively and by default telling the truth. So, you know, it's I think it's it goes with that even if you're not lying to your siblings and father about your other siblings <laughs> and your father. I think lying and controlling access to information is a way to feel powerful when you maybe aren't or can't feel powerful or you're trying very hard. Oh, to be definitely. Powerful. Like that wonderful scene with the manila envelope where Kendall writes fuck you and puts in the envelope and hands it and puts it in the place where she was going to look. I mean, it's this wonderful sort of way of trying to feel powerful, but also just such a sibling move. Like we have all done that to our siblings, right? Um, the, the other thing that you get that this show does well, just in everything about how it's made and shot and everything else, is it, it, it the, the bubble in which they exist of just, you know, being among themselves and their minions and their, and 
is is fantastic. And because again, that's my, been my you know my anthro- experience as an anthropologist of the super rich and of of big time executives in general is the bubbles in which they live. You know, and and uh, being shocked at like what a cup of coffee costs at Starbucks, which a mogul of my acquaintance once did in my presence. And 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 I think they just do that so well. And not that it's so. You know, I mean, yeah, they have private jets and all that, but it's, but this show does not do the dynasty, you know, Dallas, I'm dating myself, kind of wealth porn quite as much as it could. It, it I don't know, except for private jets, to me, their life is not very enviable, you know, yeah, nothing it, about they, it, except, except private jets. <laughs> they don't do that, that nothing is shot in a way that's like, dating myself too, lifestyles of the rich and famousy or like makes you covet anything these people have. And in fact, I feel like what they've done with Logan so far in these first two episodes is like, he is kind of trapped in the most down market. We talked about this last week, the most like down market five-star hotel that's ever been. And there's this one shot in episode two that they they hone in on um, Logan's salad. And it's like one of those sad... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hotel salads with the cubes of ham and the cubes of cheese and he's just like poking at it and I was like billionaire or not like that's that's a bad salad yeah, I, bad I'm with you I, I, salads I, are universal I had that same so salad moment I go wait <laughs> you know no I want to be in my hotel room and have this glorious cob yes. salad that, of the likes of which I've never seen no that exactly Oh, and he just looks, and that's when he's at most like the. He says the world is wobbling. I need Shiv. I need you know. I need Connor. I need all all my people. But who he needs, and who he says he needs, and who he gets is, and I I cannot overestimate. I cannot overstate how happy I am about her reemergence into the show. Is Marsha like she was missing for most of season two? And boy, is she back. And I mean, she has found him at his moment of maximum weakness. She, it has come in with maximum leverage. She is being incredibly nice to him and, you know, is extracting God knows how many billions of dollars in the process in this incredibly mercenary way. And oh my God, Marsha. Oh my God, Marsha. She, does she she swoops in and they have this like, it's the moment where I guess Logan's supposed to apologize to her, but he's obviously incapable of doing that and says like, I can't, I can't eat shit, Marsha. I just can't. Um, and the closest he gets to apology is saying, is, is saying, I can sometimes get distracted. And that literally counts as the apology. And then all that has to happen next, Marsha says, of course, I might like to have a small conversation with somebody. Which is code for like, I need a lot of money to make this happen. Make it happen for me. And it does. It was so amazing. She has the single best line in the episode. I have to come out and say, this is the best line of the episode. It's when like Hugo says, well, look, nothing happened. Because we really would say that nothing ever happened. She's a whore. And it's not my problem if she wouldn't finish him. Yes. Interesting thing about her, too, is... One of the things that I thought, again, was so plausible and, and and realistic about this whole thing is that none of them really have any fixed plans, which is to say Logan or the kids or what are we going to do now or Kendall. Like, uh, they're just like, they're, they're, they're at, at sea. She, she is the one character who comes in, here's exactly what I want, bye, and here's my person that will get it for me, and I'll go uh, massage Logan's neck in the background while while she does the deal. No, she she is like, wow, talk about like captain of industry, you know, master of the universe. She she's it in this uh, episode. 
someone sent an email about like some prediction market where they're taking bets on who's going to be the CEO of Waystar Royco, and she's up there. I think she might have been had the best odds, Marsha. And I kind of, after what, what Kurt's saying is totally true. She's the one with the strategy. She executes her plan. She gets what she wants. Like, I cannot say the same for anyone else. Um, so maybe she has the chops. Maybe she's the one. I do want to talk a little bit, unpack this wonderful Greg Lawyer subplot. Greg is not the smartest egg, um, but he's smart enough to know that he needs a lawyer. Um, but <laughs> and so he turns to his like school friend and is like, what should I do? And she's like, I have no idea. I just, I'm in my first semester. Um, and basically he has Kendall saying, I will set you up with a lawyer who is obviously going to be aligned with Kendall. He has Jerry literally sending a lawyer to his door and saying like, here's your lawyer. Who's obviously going to be aligned with Waystar. Um, and he feels like he doesn't, he can't choose. Like, does he want the Waystar lawyer or does he want Kendall's lawyer? And what he winds up doing is meeting his grandfather. And the grandfather says, I'll set you up with a lawyer. And Greg, once it's already too late, realizes that even Ewan, the avuncular grandfather, like, is is just out for his own um, agenda and has no interest in in giving Greg actually what Greg needs. Um, and that is the first case where Ewan feels a little bit despicable, I think, in this show. If not despicable, certainly uh, his, 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 his moral high ground got lower. And, and, and again, what an interesting choice to make him not just be a guy who disapproves of his brother for whatever reason, but actually has this specifically left-wing agenda with his old, you know, William Kunstler-esque, a left-wing lawyer. I, I, what, an, what an interesting choice. I mean, Greg, to me, he's plausible and, and, and hilarious. And he's, why I think that's such a hard character to play is he is the most truly, almost implausibly comic character in his stupidity. Not not entirely, because we all know stupid young dude bros like that, but or maybe we do. But I think it, if, if they don't have it pasted on the wall of their writer's room, but some version of nobody is good in this in this show. No character is totally virtuous in this character. Or even partially virtuous, really. I mean well, Ewan is maybe partially vir- virtuous, and and Greg is is you know for all that Greg has done is is not the le- is you know maybe the least evil, <laughs> you know. I don't understand like what the end game there actually is. Does that mean they want to take down Waystar Royco? Like what what is happening with that? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I mean that's why it's so interesting. <laughs> so like, but but Ewan has been like dropping the same hint twice. He's like, I'm putting my affairs in order, and Ewan is a major shareholder of Waystar Royco and what it means for him to be putting his affairs in order. um, You know, it would not surprise me if he were um, somehow back channeling with Sandy and Stewie, but also like he probably hates Sandy and Stewie just as much as he hates his own brother. So, you know, there could, who knows, maybe there's some like weird connection between Ewan and Marsha. Like again, like the alliances is, fluid but he i think has a plan Marsha has a plan but i think ewan has a plan as well we just don't know what that plan is speaking of the the left this the sudden left 
wing story thread. It, I thought they did again. What what don't they do well? But the the calls that uh, Logan and Jerry made to the president and the president's whomever chief of staff or whoever that was supposed to be were so well done and shows you know the actual access of super rich people, especially super rich media moguls, to to presidents and their and their you know closest minions. And and again, as a, just a glimpse of plutocracy, you know, really just lovely without being overdone and not like, you know, calling up, you know, and Logan saying to the president, do this, and the president does it. Nothing that broad or crude or vulgar, you know, just the way it would actually, I think, be and come down and play out. Is that how it would be? I mean, I was thinking, I guess, of of um, Roger Ailes and Donald Trump and that whole time you know, period where Trump would come out and say like nice things about yeah, but Trump. I mean, Trump. We can't. I mean, we can't. We can't assume that the president in this the, the what is he called the raisin the raisin uh, is is Donald Trump <laughs> or anybody like him. But um, yeah, I, I don't know I, whether it's how it would play out. It's it's just it's more subtle and nuanced and less like you know s- stupid than it would be so often done in in fiction and and. I, I think that, you know, it, the relationship that Logan has with the president is probably not that far off the relationship that, say, Rupert Murdoch had with George W. Bush. Uh, it's, it's, it's less powerful. Like, Rupert Murdoch has much more access to and even control over the heads of state in the UK and Australia. But it's, but like, so he, he's still in a little bit of sort of supplicant mode when it comes to the president of the United States, but he definitely has access. Uh, exactly, and 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 again, Trump is this outlier so far. Uh, th- where where you know, I'm sure Rupert Murdoch could call him up and tell him. Th- 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 I'm sure there was a more direct right. thing there than ever existed with Rupert Murdoch and his and his and the previous presidents or subsequent presidents. Right. With, with Trump, of course, famously, he would call Rupert yes. and would yes. just rant at him on the phone to the point at which Rupert kept on trying to like hang up on him, and Trump would just not shut up. Yeah. So, so the the thing of being, oh, the president's not going to talk to you, so your number two talks to the president's number two. Yeah, that that seemed true. And I was going to say, um, in in terms of plutocracy, there's a scene, um, in season two where Logan says something about the raisin, the president. He says something like, "I've seen so many of these guys. Like, I've been in business. I've seen what eight, ten presidents. Like, he's he believes himself to be, and I think probably is true for a lot of these guys, to be more powerful than a president. He's in and out. Like, Logan is, he or was, the forever president, right? I mean, these guys have more power than any political figure. Some do. Like, and I think that's one of the differences between media moguls and the ultra-rich. That, like, media moguls have wealth and power, whereas rich mm. people just have wealth. Depending on how corrupt the party is we're talking about. But we can go back to the limo, Felix, with um, Sandy's daughter and and Stewie. Thank God Stewie is back. I felt about his reappearance. <laughs> I wanted more. I missed him in the first episode. Everyone um, loves tried Stewie. Tried to send a severed head, but the paperwork was too much. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> I just I was really glad to see him. I hope he plays. A, a, he gets almost all the good lines. Him and Roman, I think, vie for the best lines. Right. So, but it wasn't clear to me. Back to the limo conversation. Is Sandy and Stewie, are they back with Kendall now? Are they? So Sandy and Stewie are still in this 
the longest proxy fight that has ever existed in the history of proxy fights. It started in season one and it's still going on in like episode two of season three. And basically, Kendall is making a proffer to them. He's saying, if we team up, if if I put my votes with you, I will give you the board seats. I will not, I will make you a central part of the board and you can have a bunch of control and power and we will kick out Logan and in return for that, can you, like, drop this proxy fight? And Sandy and Stewie kind of, at this point, are not persuaded that Kendall has a clue what he's doing. And so they're, they're basically being non-committal. But one little bit of reality that I did want to ask you specifically about, Kurt, was when Connor talks about the wolf pack, when he talks about the the guys that, you know, with Logan and Mo and the Wolf and the guys who are like running the cruises and running the show. And there have been a lot of profiles of late of David Zaslav, who is the new media mogul in town, um, and how he does these big, you know, all male retreats and dinners with all of the other media moguls. And it feels. I think the word Wolfpack might actually have like been in some of those profiles. Does the Wolfpack as a concept still exist in in media? I think that's a very good question. It seems like, you know, certainly <laughs> since 2017, the the stakes and the risks of Wolfpackery would have made it more rare. But you do have the shadow of the late unlamented Jeffrey Epstein, of course, um, and that was all happening, you know, a decade within, you know, not the last couple of years in that way, but certainly recently. Still, I mean, sure. I mean, is there stuff like that going on? I, I would, you know, the, the, the wise bet would be to bet yes. And, and there is a sense in terms of, of the, the show which is it's 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 in the past, right? It's, they they talk about it as these old older guys uh, in the past, so that seems entirely uh, plausible. And again, in the previous season, they explained what that was all about more specifically. And now in this episode, in this season, they're just kind of referring to it as though we know because we do. But but again, I, I it's it's interesting given that that was that is the big part of Kendall's turn play. Is that how how relatively unspecific in in what we just have seen they are being about what those crimes and misdemeanors are? The pipeline of sad dancers. <laughs> yes, yeah, right, Shift right. does like provide a little bit of um, useful Aiden memoirs when she's talking about like throwing migrants off the side of boats and in international waters and that kind of you know less than less than sterling behavior. And in terms of hiring these female comms and people and lawyers if you're Kendall it it, it obviously makes that all the more interesting yeah. i mean those all, all of the powerful lawyers are women right it's just the slightly doofusy communist who's a man correct and so far i mean none of those people even though they're on the right side because Kendall is on the right side come across as sterling epitomes of virtue either no, and Kendall explodes at Shiv at, at the end of that whole conversation and makes that crass comment about her. <laughs> I was the only one you wanted. Yeah? I was the only one who mattered. Yeah, only because you're the girl. Girls count double now, didn't you know? Oh, yeah. No, I know. I fucking know. It's only your teats that give you any value. So, you know, it's only your teats. 
makes that comment <laughs> and just undercuts everything he's said before. You know, he's on the right side of everything. And then he says, the only reason I wanted you is because you're a woman and you're more valuable in these times. It's like, okay, well, it's clear now, though we knew before, that this is not about ethics. No, no. And, <laughs> and now women are worth fight. twice. Women are worth <laughs> just, double. No, that yeah. was brilliantly done and uh, leaves it up to you, the viewer, to sort of say, oh, it, this is just bullshit. He's, you know, this 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 being the, you know, fighter for women uh, without having any character say that. Yeah, yeah. And it's the beautiful, too, I think, like you're saying, that they don't really, like, spell out the allegations ever, even when they first broke in season two. We still don't have like a fully clear understanding of of what of what happened actually. Like it's just sort of like out there. There's like hints of it, but it's not bank, com, like being you're not being banged over the head with. There it. was that very long Wall Street Journal story, but like the characters have read it, but we just kind of got yeah, the we don't know what it says. This season, like it could be like a like a quote unquote like about the Me Too, how Me Too played out in the in the media and amongst powerful people, and the truth about how it played out is so different from how you would maybe think about it from the outside. You know, it's just it's just about bad times for powerful people and how they react to it and align themselves around it. it has nothing to do with like we're exposing bad behavior, blah blah blah. Also, I just very randomly need to mention this. The photo for Logan on Shiv's phone is Saddam Hussein. Just, I just needed to mention that in case you missed it. Go back. That was so great. Missed it. Wow. That was the very first shot in the episode is that, yeah, Logan's phoning and like up comes Saddam Hussein is the picture. And you're like, that is awesome. Have we had any, speaking of which, in this show so far, any jokes about any of them calling themselves Uday and Kusay or something? And I, I, I guess not. But no, I mean, we, we did have. Roman kind of kidnapped in some obscure Middle Eastern country. Oh, right. Yeah. That was fun. Or or Turkey. <laughs> one of those. I don't know if it was obscure <laughs> well, Middle East. Or, yeah. But as as a great Murdochologist, Kurt, we we, we should also... Um, I'm, not, I'm not Michael Wolf. Who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> really? I thought you were Michael Wolf. Um, I, I should ask you about the, the bit where Marsha starts laying out her list of demands, and she's like... I want my I want to be part of the trust. I want my children to be like part of the trust. Like this is very very much a Murdoch um thing, right? This is exactly what Wendy Deng did with her daughters. Cor- precisely correct. And why why I mentioned why I brought her up earlier is yes, it, it is exactly. E- even though in that instance in in the real life quasi inspiration for this story, um he, I think she did that actually before the end of the marriage, and this isn't the end of the marriage. And he had some leverage in that case because of her shenanigans with, say, the Tony Blair. minister of the UK. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, Emily. Yes. What did yes. you think of of this episode overall? Do you have a favorite line? Do you have any major takeaways? Um, I feel like this is kind of like a setup episode. You know. It's setting us up for the rest of the season, but in itself, it's not, I don't think it's one of my favorite episodes. So, and as far as favorite lines, because that's what we always do on Slate Money Succession, um, I think it would be. Oh, you mean us? This multi fucking ethnic transgender alliance of 20 something dreamers we got right here? Which is what <laughs> Roman said to refer to he Such and his a great lines. line. 
<laughs> Such a great line. I, th I think I think I'm going to go with the Roman line as well, which is when he 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 calls up Jerry and he goes, "I'm just going to put my dick in your mad scheming scissor hands here." <laughs> um, I I agree. I think I think this was there was a bunch of like blocking and tackling in this episode, which is setting us up for for future fireworks. But Kurt, what did? What's your no, I, I think there was no, I, you had to do what they did or you had to do. You, you had to do the, okay, now what happens? And the fact that they did it without any, you know, six months later, but it was like moments after the, the previous season ended, I think I, I liked because it, it didn't seem a cheat. It, it, it seemed more real. So I thought that was fine. It wasn't, if we had to rate all whatever, how many episodes there have been, 20X so far, it's it's not one of the very best. But given that I'm always worried with shows I love, like, oh, is it going to keep it up? Ooh, is it going to be as good? I, I felt like, whoa, we're back. Uh, I, I I am satisfied, even though it's not one of the best uh, episodes ever. Like I'm sure we're all watching it on, on HBO Max. It's on demand. I can say, as someone who's watched it twice, it's better the second time. If you if you can you know if you're the kind of person who likes to ever watch episodes twice, um, Succession is definitely one of the shows where you do want to watch it twice, and especially this episode, it benefits from a second. Well, and now know. I need to watch it twice just to see Saddam Hussein uh, come up on. <laughs> Wait, you, you only need to watch it for the first like thirty seconds, and then then you can yeah. turn it up. Um, but no, so I, 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 I'm, I, I am, uh, I'm not worried at all. And I think, and, and no, all of, all that was great in general, uh, about the previous seasons to me is I feel like they've still got their stuff. They're not, they're not being complacent. They're not being lazy. Oh, wait. I'm going to, I just need to mention one more line because I love it so much and I forgot because Greg doesn't have so many awesome lines, but that line where he turns to Kenley goes, you know, I don't really want to go to Congress again. I, I, I'm kind of too young to be in Congress so much, you know? <laughs> so once again, applause for the writer's room, a succession. We love them very much, based as they are in my, my hometown of South London. Thank you, Kurt, for coming on the show. It's always amazing and awesome and brilliant to have you on the show. Well, uh, you know, you, you keep giving away perks like advanced screening copies of Succession, and I'll be back <laughs> as often as you want. Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, we'll be back next week with episode three of Slate Money Succession. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.